Amen. I've been talking a, a little bit lately, uh, or a lot lately, um, depending how, how you look at it, um, just in terms of uh, just uh, uh, bringing the banks, bringing a culture into the life of the church, restoring back the eternal values that God wants for our lives, um, just the understanding even of when we got born again and we gave our lives to Jesus, uh, just the simple understanding of giving your life to Jesus is, a, is an interesting word in itself. Um, when the Bible says God called us, we didn't kind of call him, kind of, he gave us life in the first place. So um, it's kind of just, we're in rebellion and we're responding to, to that and, uh, and saying, Lord, we are, are giving you and uh, we want reconciliation back to a God who loved us and a God who actually uh, is actually wanting the best for us. Amen. And then we stick in the banks so that the river can flow. So the power and the presence of God, we talked a little bit about all authority had been given. Jesus said to, to, to him in heaven and on earth, there is no ways that the people that are sitting here today can ever fully understand. Any of us can fully understand what that means to have all authority that's in heaven and on earth given to you and I. Well, I don't think we even understand what all authority on earth means. But all authority in heaven and on earth was given to us. And now he says you can go. Man, I'm telling you, if you understand that, of course you can go. Where can you not go if you have all authority in heaven and on earth? Amen? Man, that's just, that, then nobody's intimidating. Everyone's cool. We just go because God's mandated to us and he's given us all authority, right? But these things we need to grasp, we need to understand, we need to get the banks, we need to understand the power of God so it can flow freely, so it can flow well. We need to have the eternal value sitting in our hearts and lives because otherwise we won't be focused, right? Come on, there are eternal values that we need to understand and establish. It's like, for instance, when people, they say, okay, I believe you grant the word of God says that I'm gonna tithe and they tithe for three months, whatever, and then all hell breaks loose and their business is about to close and their car lost all four wheels on the highway or whatever and all of that and they go, okay, that can't be God. Tithing doesn't work, I'm just gonna shut down. That is a temporary value. An eternal value is to understand what God has said and it's eternal. It's inside of my heart. It's for eternity. Why do I do this? I don't do this for some temporal. If the gospel only works for 75 years, throw it away. Because it's not the true gospel then. This is an eternal gospel. When Jesus did this, it was set up from the beginning of time till the end of time. It's going to close down. It's going to carry on for the rest of our lives. Amen? What you are setting up and what you're establishing is not for these 75, 80 plus years. What you're setting up and establishing is for the rest of your life. When you cross over from this curtain of this physical life into the curtain of eternity, friends, it will count and it will matter and it'll be too late for you to change your mind. When you get there and you stand before God one day and that 75, 80 years is gonna count now for all eternity, friends, it's too late. You're gonna live in eternity accountable for what you did for 75, 80 years. We don't like to preach that either. That's an eternal value. That means every single day I live my life with eternity in mind. The Bible says that eternity has been placed in every single one of our hearts. What I'm living for is eternity. I'm living for what God's called me to do. Every single day when I wake up, Holy Spirit woke me up and mercy gave me another opportunity for that day to live for eternity. When I live for eternity, I don't live for now. I don't live for just what's around me. I live for what he lives for. Because I'm gonna stand before him one day and I'm gonna give an account what I've been doing every single day, and he's going, okay, son, what, what did you do today? Right? Come on. It's very good preaching, Ron. No, thank you. It's awesome. <laughs> really believe that. That's wonderful. 
Okay, what I want to quickly do is just hit one or two uh, things, eternal values this morning, and, uh, and then we can uh, see what the Holy Spirit does with it. Um, I've, I've called the preach this morning. Yes, Luke, I have called it up front, already given it a title. I've just called it Getting Your Needs Met. Getting Your Needs Met, obviously. The pattern of this world is um, live and do everything for thine self. That's in the King James Version. And fulfill thy needs. Amen. So we kind of look at that and we see that's, that's, the, that's the mantra of the world. And uh, we come out of the world, but the Bible tells us to, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Right? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The reality is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says we are not to love this world or the things in this world because the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, they're all going to pass away. Desires are going to pass away. This world's going to pass away. So we're not to be imitating, copying this world, but we need to be transformed. We need to have a new understanding and a godly understanding, Right? Don't love this world. When we're born again, we become born from above. We're born from another world. We're aliens in this planet. We are strangers in this planet. We do not think, act, operate like this planet. Um, so the reality is we need to stop trying to imitate what this world is telling us. And we need to become transformed and to become this whole new group of people. That's why on these days, friends, it's not going to be, and this is the, 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 the cell of the church over so many years that the enemy captivated our hearts and minds and sold us off into captivity in consumerism and materialism and all kinds of things and just another offshoot and break from a worldly thinking is that he told us that when we come to Christianity, the main aim there is to get us all happy. Man, there are far better means and ways to make yourself really happy. There are some people here today, before they got saved, they were really happy because you can take things that you can plant in the ground and you can smoke them and it makes you, makes you really happy. But the reality is, friends, that when Jesus redeemed us, it wasn't about happiness. Oh. We were not called to meet our needs in the same way the world was called. We were not called to conform to this world, friends. Get born again, you come to Jesus, whatever, now we must get all our needs met, and then the way God's gonna do it is the wealth of the wicked has been laid up for the righteous. The righteous are gonna be so rich, it's gonna be so, they're gonna be so, just oozing with finances, whatever, that the world's gonna look and go, oh, I'm so envious of you. Where did we get that? Shakarabayanda pile of nonsense from. The reality is, friends, that Jesus, when he comes, friends, and he redeems us, we shine like lights in a world that's fallen, that world that's desperate, that's not finding answers in anything. The world is not finding answers in finances. Why would we find the answers in finances? 
We find the answers in Jesus and we shine like lights because in the midst of a darkened world with all the pressures and the challenges, we shine because it doesn't, we don't waver, we don't shake, we're stable, we're secure. No matter what the enemy's throwing at the world and it tries to throw at the church, it doesn't waver, it stays stable, it stays secure. It just keeps declaring the goodness and the greatness and the wonders of God. Let me just challenge you to throw this out straight away. Does your and my life prove the goodness of God? You're in trouble if you think that. That's why people come and they go, you don't know my life. You don't know what I've walked. You don't know what I've journeyed. You don't know the things that have happened to me. Friends, your life does not prove whether God's good or not. He is an eternal God who is good, regardless of your or my journey. And one day you will speak to him and see him face to face, goodness. And when that, those eyes look into your eyes, you will know he is good. But in this world, friend, we are darkened often with our understanding and the revelations of the journey that we're living here and we make choices, wrong choices. We do a whole bunch of stuff, friends, but that does not take away from who God is. All the enemy wants to do is make us have unbelief in his goodness. It started right in the very beginning of the Bible. It's gone through the whole Bible. You can just see it there all the way. And it started in the beginning of your life, went through your whole life. Adam and Eve were sitting there. They were made by God. They were perfect in every single way. God was blessing them. Everything was wonderful, whatever. And the enemy came and he wanted to say, listen, hold on a minute. The reason why God's withholding and telling you you can't eat to that tree is because he's not good. Because he wants to withhold from you that he knows if you eat from that tree, you'll be like him. God was not withholding anything, friends. It was his goodness that stopped him from eating from that tree because we're talking about God here in eternal wisdom, friends, that we were always meant to partner with and never meant to rely on our own wisdom. We could just rely on him. What a beautiful, wonderful partnership, friends, when we can actually live in the goodness and experience all that God has for us, but we rely on his wisdom. Instead, man goes, no, no, hold on, he's withholding something, he's not so good, let me go and eat from this tree so that now I can have knowledge, friends, but we've got limited knowledge, friends, and as soon as we had limited knowledge, our choices are garbage. Then we make bad choices in life and then we blame him. Gospel's very simple, friends. When Jesus restored us back into that rightful place, it was in partnership with again where Jesus becomes our wisdom. Come on, so now as a church, we've got to rely on him to become our wisdom. We've got to rely on him to tell us how we journey this thing, how we put these banks in place so the power of God can flow freely. So as a, as a, a, when we lived in the world, it was all about me, my, myself, meeting my needs, friends. Now when I come to Jesus, I've got to say, I'm partnering with you as wisdom. How do I meet my needs? Because God wants my needs to be met. Come on. How do you get your needs met in the kingdom? The kingdom way of getting your needs met is focusing on getting other people's needs met. That is so foreign to the understanding that we have. That is so foreign to the thinking of man. It's like, that's just silly, that's stupid, that doesn't work. Yeah. Because that's thinking like man. That's eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He, and that's done the world really well. Well, you can turn your Bibles, I'll read you a story. 1 Kings chapter 17. Let's go to Old Testament and New Testament. How am I doing for time? Jesus. Redeem the time. 
Sun, stand still. It'd all be, it'd be funny if it did, eh? You're like, hey, it's still 20 past 10 or whatever it is. One King 17, I want to read you this story. In the Bible, it's beautiful. And um, we know that these aren't fantasies. We know that this is true. This, is ha- this happened. God put it in the Bible for us so we could read it. It is in the Old Testament, but just as much as the New Testament, so is the Old Testament relevant to us. He didn't say we need to read his word, but skip the Old Testament. It's, it's no good. Just, just, just go straight to the New Testament and the good stuff. Let's go find the new stuff and forget everything else. No, it's good for us to read his words. So I'm just going to read some of the words. One of my favorite people in the Bible, well, second favorite, no, third favorite <laughs> to Jesus. Jesus is my favorite. Elisha is my second favorite. Elijah, my third favorite. Okay, this is to do with Elijah. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. Isn't that just the comedy or the actual? Uh, it's God's sense of humor. He says, behold, I'm sending you to a place and I've commanded a widow there to feed you. Not the big oak with the big house and the big cars, whatever, on the hill, who's got more money than he knows what to do with and he's burning it outside just to keep his house warm. No, I'm, I'm sending, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get a widow to feed you. You see, when we buy into this thing, we buy into the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. You've got to buy in all the way. You can't dance between the two. You have to buy in all the way. Because you probably, you'd say, get you behind me, Satan, a widow. No, 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 not a widow. I'm sure you're meaning somebody big, maybe a person in parliament or, okay, stop that, Grant, okay. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, and behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I might go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. I don't know if you get this picture. She's a widow. She's gathering sticks to make a fire. The man of God comes along and says, listen, can you go and get me some water? I mean, really, the man of God is telling a widow who's gathering some sticks, can you go get me something to drink? Like, go get it yourself. I'm a widow. Probably a little old, old, older than you, and I'm busy here. Can you just go fetch your own water? If you don't read the Bible like it's real, don't read the Bible in some fantasy. And then she proceeds to tell the man of God, hold on a minute. I don't know if you understand what you've just given me an order to go do, that I have a little bit of flour left and a little bit of oil. I'm going to go and bake my last meal. This is all I have. And it's actually just enough for me and my son. Oops, oops, there actually is another person in the family too here. Now actually there's a family and there's a child involved. And now we're gonna go and we're gonna bake our last little meal. We're gonna eat it and then that'll be just enough for us and we're gonna die. That's it. 
Okay. Now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I might go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, this is Elijah, man of God, anointed of God, prophet of God, speaks only the things of God, right? Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake. But first make me a little cake. And bring it to me. And afterwards, go make something for yourself and your son. Sorry. Man of God, I'm missing something here big time. (laughs) This is the last little bit. I'm going to make myself a meal. It's just enough for me and my son. And then we are going to die. And you are taking my last meal. And you're saying, first, make me something. Really? So I must take my last meal, but first I must make you something, which means that meal is no longer enough. I'm going to die sooner. So take that, make it for me, and then you go. Make me something And then you can go make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. The jar of flour shall be spent and the jug of oil shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Come on. Come on. This is not a, this is, uh, this is not, this is not in the uh, file of worldly thinking, this. This is in the file of left field badly. And most people here, honestly, you have to be really, really, really diligent or focused or totally consumed in love with God not to be tilting slightly a little bit, right? Your brain tilts a little bit with this kind of stuff. You go, you try and take it into the context of today, church. Just think about that saying, Lord, I just, I'm just battling to understand that. She's telling you that she's, she's about to die and your answer to that is give me first. You didn't hear what I said. I tell you what you've got to do is, don't give me, what I'm going to come do is I'm going to multiply that, let it grow a little bit, let it go, let it get to a, a decent amount of sum, then you can give to me. I'm not asking you, son, to give of, of your small little bit now. I'm asking, I want to come in and I want to multiply your business and I want to grow it till it's quite established and big and then you can give me a nice big amount. Come on, you can get angry with me, but I'm reading the word. The only reason why we get angry with me is because we don't want to get angry with God. It's too big for us. <laughs> you see, there's an understanding at church that we need to give, have, and that's simply this understanding, is that God's ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. But there's a way that seems right to man, but it leads to destruction. 
and we sit there and we try and work in these ways when God's actually got different ways and he wants us to operate in those ways because they'll lead to life and there'll be banks for us and there'll be eternal values in there that the river can flow and the power and the presence of God can flow. But we want this, friends, but we're operating over here and we're trying to use these as banks and they don't, the river doesn't flow. And we wonder why the people of God are all over the place. We wonder why the people of God often are battling and just trying to keep their head above water because they are trying to meet their needs by meeting their needs. <laughs> when the Bible's telling us the way you do it is so, give. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give and it shall be given. There is a process first, the way you meet your needs is releasing your finances to the kingdom of God, releasing your finances to God, and that you give, and it shall be given back to you. And it says the way, that, the, 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 the amount that you measure is the way it'll be measured back to you. Which means if I give a teaspoon, friends, then God takes a teaspoon. If I give a spade, then God takes a spade. If I take a forklift, big, greater tractor, then God takes his tractor. Come on. It's in the Bible. Just what we gotta do is read it, right? So now let's just quickly make sure we understand some of this stuff. We, when we, when we, before we got saved, we had needs as the people of God. After we get saved, we also have needs as the people of God, right? But we have different needs when we get born again. We don't have the same needs. That's a misdemeanor and not true in terms of the word of God. When you and I got born again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you become new creatures in Christ. When we become new creatures in Christ, the word new creature is a Greek word. It means prototype, completely new New model, not adjusted model, not added on, not just taking the Toyota and just adjusting the, ba the back lights or the front bonnets. I'm talking about a whole new Toyota. This is a whole new model. When you've got a whole new model, it's a whole new way of thinking, operating. We've been transformed. The way we think, the desires, our lives are completely differently. We are completely differently shaped. Our, our, our whole uh, uh, hard drive and everything is completely different. This is a revolutionary model that will put Apple to shame. You cannot copy this sucker, it's just completely new. Jesus was that prototype and we now in Christ are all that prototype. So we dare not say that we have the same needs as we had before we got saved. We have different needs, but we do have some of the same needs. How many know before we got saved I needed to eat some food? Right, when I got, after I got saved, how many know never have to eat again, it's beautiful. <laughs> You have to still eat, you have to drink water, you have to still drink water. You, 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 you. Before I was saved, I needed to be secure. After I was saved, I also need security needs, right? I don't just walk around anywhere, just like, I, I also, I need, there's some needs, friends, that are the same, but there's a lot that's changed, right? We get that, I hope you understand that. I mean, I could give you all the scriptures, there's so many here. Uh, in Hebrews 2.15, it says we were under the fear of death uh, that kept us in lifelong slavery, then when we were born again, we have been redeemed from the fear of death. How many know that fear of death tries to captivate us? It rules our lives. If we don't let this revelation, this understanding that we've been redeemed from it, then we will live even as Christians with fear of death. I'm worried because then it shapes my life. I'm worried about, oh, I'm scared of death, so I've got to be careful. And, and stuff comes in all shapes and sizes. And if we live with that fear, we're in lifelong slavery all the time. Be careful of this. Be careful of that. Be careful of this. That's why we've got to be careful about Google. I love Google. Frank, I love Google. We've got to be careful about Google, though, because too much information, again, is eating from the wrong tree. You know, I won't go in any depths, perhaps. But so Jane's had a few challenges lately, whatever, and that, and you go and Google some of the stuff. 
petrifies you. It's like, God, grief. What happens if it could be this? What happens if it could be that? And Oh, look here. Oh, look here. My shoulder's jumping. It's a symptom. Woo. <laughs> now your shoulder's jumping because something crawled into your shirt. Just open your shirt and get something out. You know what I mean? <laughs> the reality is we start to do all of that, friends, and then fear comes and it holds us in captivity because be careful. Don't, don't live our lives in fear. Jesus redeemed us from fear. Man, I just stepped through, blink of an eye, boom, I'm into the next realm. It's so quick, it's like this. In fact, it's more hurtful for us than it is for the person. Because they've gone, they've moved through, and we've left behind you, and whoops, it's like, it hurt. But for them, it's, whoo, glory. Come on, there's no fear of death, right? Okay, that's why we're different. Well, I'm getting on a sidetrack. But we have love in our hearts, we accept it in the beloved, we have identity, we're sons, we call children of God. All these things, friends, make sure that we think differently, our desires are different, our needs are different. Okay. So now, with this whole new person and these new needs, new understanding and everything like that, we start to establish eternal values and an eternal culture. Come on, that's what we do as the people of God. So now when people are here and they look at the church, they should see a whole new culture, whole new culture and a whole new set of values, eternal values, which is strange to them. That's why, friends, when people were being naughty over here, they used to kick them out of this. That was punishment. They used to say, if you carry on being naughty, I'm gonna kick you out of the church. Nowadays, you wouldn't even know if there was a dividing line <laughs> or whether they're in or out. In fact, sometimes they embrace it and go, oh, that's exciting, thank you, please kick me out. So somewhere along the line, our value systems and the culture is not the same. The culture has been incorporated into this culture. Now it's an all mixed up culture, which is not, but if you can define it. Friends, in this culture, to be honest with you, all the needs should be met. Here you get loved. Here you get encouraged. Here you get surrounded. Here people stand with you. We think, oh, in Jesus, I have these wonderful value systems. I go and I just love everybody and I love all these people and I'm loving and I'm giving to them and I'm doing all these wonderful things, friends. Just maybe that's not God's value system. Oh, hitting a cow now. Just maybe here, the church, his beloved people who are blessed, taken care of and watched over, friends. Maybe that's just such an awesome example of family and who God is, friends, that it's so attractive to these people. They desire that, friends. You've got to, see, that's why before man only thought about himself. And we have some incredible financial guys. So please don't blame me now, all the financial guys, because I sometimes get stick because I say, hey, always pick on the financial guys. No, friends, it's good to have retirement, it's good to have savings, it's good to have all those good retirement uh, understanding and savings things, whatever, and it's good to get financial advice and all of that, it's brilliant. I'm for it. We've got great guys in the church, you can go to them, they'll help you out. I'm just saying, when you get transformed into this realm, what happens if God asks you to use your retirement funds? What happens if God asks you, instead of saving this month, why don't you give? Because you see, when this gets so entrenched, the Christians are not, I, I can't touch that. Woo. Okay, that was, that was a bit sore. I'll move on. 
I'm for retirement funding in a very small way. But I am, uh, I'm happy that people are wanting to, it's wisdom, all of that. I'm happy that people want to save. Of course I'm happy to. Friends, but when I move into this realm, there's something more important and bigger. It's obedience to the king. Sometimes he tells me to do stuff that's so not that. Sometimes he tells me to do something that's completely contrary because I'm a prototype. I'm not so much about my retirement. I'm so much more about the kingdom of God and heaven. And heaven is not where I retire, by the way. Retirement is an earthly concept. Heaven is, there's no retirement in heaven. You get old in the earth and then you go through to heaven and now you just live with your harp singing songs. <laughs> work is a concept that God invented, by the way. I believe in work. I believe in working hard. I believe in working harder than anyone else. Paul said the grace of God. There's so much in my life that I work harder than everyone. Grace should cause us to work hard, friends. I'm not trying to be lazy. I'm just saying we've got to just understand that there's a transition of thinking and understanding that's riverbanks in this understanding, that's a culture in this understanding. The culture in this understanding is things have not captivated us. Retirement, savings, well, it's not captivated me. Only he has captivated me. So everything is fair game in the kingdom of God for whatever he wants, right? Oh, it's going too slow. Let's quickly go to uh, Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. The realms of heaven are so different, friends. Philippians chapter four, let's just read it, we love it. Philippians chapter four, verses, uh, I think it's 19. Um, is it verse 19? If I can find verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Friends, and then we take that promise, we grab hold of it, we say, yay, Lord, we put it up on our fridge, now we begin to pray it every single morning as a family, we say, my God, just supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. He's not supplying our needs according to my bank account, someone else's bank account, he's supplying my needs according to his riches that are in glory. Woohoo! And we take that promise, friends, and we begin to quote it and pray it, and we're popping veins, and we're doing a whole bunch of stuff, and then it doesn't happen, friends, and the church gets confused. They begin to blame God. They begin to blame the church. It must be the church that I'm in. I must go down the road because those guys seem to have Rolex watches. They've got this thing right. That guy doesn't have it right. And you've taken a promise, friends, out of context. And remember also, just just drop this in. Uh, Remember that everything in the Bible is in a context. And you have to read it forwards in its context. If you don't read it in its context, then you're going to misinterpret and get it backwards, and then the text is going to con you. So let me just drop this out very quickly and just say this. This promise that Paul says, and I love that he says, my God, He's not confused. He knows the Philippians have got the same God. He's not saying, my God. I don't know what God you guys serve, but my God. What he's trying to tell them is, I know, guys. I know the God that I serve. The God that I serve, I know him. And he will meet every single one of your needs according to his riches in glory. That's a promise, friends, but he is writing it from where? In prison. He's writing this whole letter from in prison. He's writing this letter from pain. 
Ask yourself this simple question. If Paul was all about himself and not about others, friends, can you imagine the interesting letters he would have written? They would have been crackers. Terrible, actually. Petrifying to read. Because he's strong and he's straight even in these letters. And he's writing because of others. Do you know that the, Philipp- the, 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 the book of Philippians, which is a letter to the Philippians, remembering this, this verse is taken out of a letter. Do you know that that letter is the most joyful letter in the Bible? It's the most times that joy is, is, is said and rejoice. Woo. It's the most happiest letter in the Bible, friends. But he's in the midst of his pain. He's in a, in a, in a, in a jail, friends. I'm not talking about modern day jails. I'm talking about the, the early church days jails. Deep, fraught, smelly dungeons that are cold, that have got shackles. All the movies are true, all that slop. That stuff would look and you don't know what and stuff's crawling around in it. Come on. Whatever you can picture, it's worse. And the reality is he's sitting there and he's writing to them, friends. He's not writing about himself. He's writing to them. And he says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And all you've got to do is go back two verses to verse 17 to understand the context of what he's trying to say. What he's simply saying is this. He's saying the Philippians church, the Philippians church in those days was a poor church. But as a poor church, he was celebrating them and saying, thank you. They were the only church that had given offerings to Paul. Twice. And he was saying to them, guys, I'm not, I'm not trying to get money or a gift from you for me. I'm trying to tell you that by doing that, it will bring credit. It will bring supply to your life. Read it. Paul's trying to explain to them that God will meet their needs because they have given in their need, they have given to meet others' needs. It's a radical concept. See, we can't Just take the promise and now demand that God has got to do it. Friends, if you do that, you will be confused. And a lot of the church is confused. And then what the devil loves to do is once you're in confusion, he will challenge the goodness of God. Because the minute he said to Eve, did God say, Eve started to think, well, he didn't actually speak to me. He spoke to my husband. My husband spoke to me. I know my husband's under a lot of stress lately. And uh, he said, get things wrong. Technically. Come on. She got confused. Friends, the mere fact that she carried on with the process means she was confused. You don't see Eve saying, listen, Satan, I know I'm very clear, clear about it. <laughs> I know exactly. And you don't, have, you don't see Adam either talking to Eve going, listen, he spoke to me. I'm also confused now. Did he speak to me? Did he? He keeps quiet. That's why he was in rebellion. Eve was deceived. She got confused. But the minute she got confused, she had unbelief in the goodness of God. These are truths. If you catch them, church, I'm just throwing them out very quickly. See, the Bible 
is a book of wisdom. It's a very, very intelligent book. It's written by the God of all wisdom and intelligence. We need to honor God's intelligence and God's wisdom by not reading a verse out of context, but reading it in its context in the way God designed and shaped it. Every single promised church has a process. You cannot claim the promise, but reject the process. A promise with process develops you. A promise without process destroys you. A promise with process will develop you. A promise without process will destroy you. You see, here's the reality in the Bible. Jesus has done it all. He's made all the promises of God, yes, in him, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I think it's verse 20. They are yours in Christ. But God wants to develop you, grow you, mature you, and that requires process. How many know when you're bringing up your kids in life, and if you've got all the finances that you need, just by giving your child everything that they demand and ask for does not mature or grow them. They become the most precocious, irritating brat in the whole world. In fact, they think that they're, now they're on their father's yacht and they don't even know how to understand life or people or anything. And at the end of the day, friends, they end up blowing up. They mess up. Friends, to develop and to process is to work with a child and sometimes to not give him what he's asking for, or give it to him straight away. Just like a good father with a child, so our good father with his children, right? There's always process, friends, with every promise that God speaks. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, I wish I could uh, read it to you, but again, Paul's writing there, and he says, Christ leads us in triumphant procession. <laughs> if you read the context of what he's talking out of there, He's not talking about his temporal or his current situation. He's talking about where God is leading them to. If you get confused or messed up by what you're in right now, understand that God's always relating to you to where he's taking you. He's leading you in triumphant procession. He's leading you into victory. But what you have to journey and walk through, friends, isn't always pleasant because that's called process. Come on, it's gone quiet in this church. I'm gonna start... There's a saying I used to have when I used to go to gym, when I used to go to gym <laughs> in my young days. No, no pain, no gain. To live in the promise, you need the journey of process. To understand, value, appreciate, and honor the promise, we need process. It costs Jesus everything to obtain the promises for us. It costs Jesus everything to obtain the promises for us. Why do we have some weird understanding, friends, that we just have to sit there and just now take all that it costs Jesus? As he is, so are we in this world. All authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to us. It's ours. All the weapons, friends, he has disarmed principalities and powers. He has taken all the weapons. All the weapons are now ours. But without the, wep without the process, a weapon is very dangerous. Without the process, authority is very dangerous, right? How many know that God's given us all the weapons? Every single one of us now, we have, the, the promise is all yes in Christ. We've got the weapons, 
I've shared this a little while ago, I'll share it again, whatever. So every single one of you has been given an R4, whatever, a big machine gun, right? It's wonderful, it's yours. But if you don't know, friends, that there's no process in how to operate in that, it's like watching one of those alien movies, right? Oh, you're looking at me like, I don't watch alien movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, get a laugh and watch an alien movie, okay? <laughs> so the aliens come and they're down there and they got these fancy weapons or whatever and then someone comes and he kicks butt, bah, and he grabs the alien weapon and it's... <laughs> he doesn't know how to operate it so then he takes the next alien on by using it as a club, Right? How many watch those movies? They're all the same. And then suddenly he has a miraculous idea, whatever, and he figures out how to operate the weapon, right? It's the same in the kingdom of God. The weapons, the, the promises of God are yes. They're yes in God. They're ours, friends. But there's a process so we can understand how to operate and to work and to use those things. Otherwise, we use them badly. And we shoot all over the place. We do a whole bunch of stuff. And God's wanting to get the job done. And there's too many people that don't know how to use the weapons and the authority that God's given to and they're aiming at his people and other people and, and they're just all over the place. And he's saying, get the riverbanks right so the power of God can flow. Come on. It's an interesting story in the Bible. Without process, a king is very dangerous. And David was made king when Samuel came and anointed him. It was a long process before he was actually on the throne and operating as a king, but he was always a king from the time he was anointed as king. It was a process that had to take place. God only does process because he loves us. The process does not make the promise happen. Jesus made the promise, yes, and all that he did on the cross is a finished work. You're not doing something to get a promise. You are doing something to live in the promise. Jesus has given us the promise, friends. He wants us to live in the promise. God declared and gave them the promised land. They had to fight some giants to live in the promised land. When Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18, I share it only because business as mission is gonna happen tomorrow and Tuesday. That's their motto. Um, Deuteronomy 8, 18, he'll be given the power to get wealth. Every single one of us will be given the power to get wealth. It's a promise. God gave it to us. It's an eternal value. It's a promise that God's given to us. But then Paul goes on and says in Philippians, and he says, I've learned to be, in, to be content, whether I have a lot or whether I have little. So what Paul needed was to go to BAM and get a course, an understanding of the promise. Deuteronomy 8, 18. See, Paul was wealthy, but that was not his focus. Obedience was, knowing God was. The process was where Paul knew you get to meet and get to know God. Not in the fulfillment of the promise. The process is where you get to know God. Jesus was a wealthy man. Paul was a wealthy man, but they never lived like rich men. They lived for God. The Bible says that God preached the gospel to Abraham in advance. Galatians 3 verse 8. In Abraham's time, there was no law. So it was a relationship of grace and faith. Sounds familiar? We operate in that now too. And God said to Abraham, I will bless you and make you a blessing to all nations. Now, if Abraham was a charismaniac, he would have said, 
I like the first part, I don't like the second part. You said you were gonna bless me. Yoo-hoo, I'm so excited, but that other part, nah, nah, don't worry about it. No, no, God said, I bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. Come on. Oh, I understand this. I understand this now, I give so that my needs can be met. So I'm a, a river flowing so that you can operate through me and you can be a blessing to the nations. That's why you bless me. You see, in those days, I just said this, in those days, um, people understood the process. Not like in modern day age. See, the reason why they understood the process is because everything that they did required a process. In the modern day age, modern day, we, we, why do we advance? We advance because what do we do? We're looking for a shortcut of the process. And if we could, we would skip it all together. That's why it's so lack when you just take your cup and you put it underneath and you go, instead of boiling a kettle and finding the, opening and taking a scoop and putting a scoop in and finding the sugar, I just, right? Wake up in the morning, get a pot, fill it with water, and I've got to boil it, take my two cups of jungle oats. Oh, what the heck, just go take a packet. That's advancement. Not according to this. <laughs> you've advanced if you've shortened the process. Your and my understanding of process will affect generations not yet born. The reason why you and I sit is because Abraham understood process. Generations that were to come, have, we've got to thank is Abraham, who's the father of our faith. Because he understood what it was to have process, friends. You and I, what we do today will affect eternity. I feel like Gladiator. What happens today will ring out into eternity. Sorry, if you haven't watched movies, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> you see, otherwise we'll get confused about the promises of God. And we'll leave a legacy of confusion and stupidity. Right? In Matthew 9 verse 36, very quickly, the Bible says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Isn't that interesting? That God is gonna send out workers what do workers do? They work. People of God are sitting here. Promises of God. Whoa, I'm all about it. Yeah, I'm gonna claim the promise, but what about the process? It's called work. The harvest is plentiful. Ask the Lord to send out the people of process. See, in God's eyes, the worker is more important than the work. We get that, right? You do not get value because you're working for God or with God. You work because you have an eternal value that your work is producing fruit for eternity. Right? I wish there was a scripture in the Bible. You know, God should have written this in the Bible. It's powerful. It's really powerful. You should have a scripture like this. It should be, it should say something like this. It should say, we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand. Wouldn't you love a scripture like that? It's powerful, should have been in the Bible. 
We are his workmanship. Now let's forget about his workmanship. Let's forget about, let's just, let's just quote the promises. No, but we are his workmanship, not my workmanship, not Jane's workmanship. I'm his workmanship. Not my friend's workmanship, not my, I am his workmanship, created for good works. Oh, it is in the Bible, Ephesians 2.10, okay. Okay. Friends, it's like coming to church with no thought for anyone else. I just want the promise without the process for me and my family. I want to filter out everything other than the promise in the preach. Just stop, you're talking, taking too long, cut out all the garbage, just let me, give me the promise. What, what, is God, what is he going to give me today? We end up confused, feeling like we don't belong, thinking that the church is nutty, and uh, the bottom line is blessing comes with the process. Um, Rob Rufus made this statement, and it's just powerful. He said, when entitlement is high, joy is low. See, if happiness is our goal, friends, then we're in trouble. Let me throw this out and I've landed. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, we have the mind of Christ. That is an eternal value. We have the mind of Christ. So that's a promise in God. So what we do, what the church do is grab hold of that promise. 1 Corinthians 2, 16, let me begin to quote it and say, I have the mind of Christ. The reason why they're quoting it, the reason why they're saying it, why they're standing so strong, I have the mind of Christ is because they need the answers so that they can better their life. So I have the mind of Christ, I have the mind of Christ. And the Bible says, yes, you do have the mind of Christ, but there's a process with the mind of Christ. It is yours, the promise is yes in Christ, but now there's a process for you to operate and to walk in that. Let me give you a couple of other scriptures just to help you understand, I'm just using an illustration. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. So I have the mind of Christ, but in order for me to operate and walk in the mind of Christ is I have to be stayed, my mind has to be stayed on him. My mind, because I trust him. How about another little illustration? Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, take the form of a servant. Ephesians 2, 5, 6, and 7, and it goes on, and it says, and he laid down his life. We have been given the mind of Christ, that's the promise, but there's a process to operate and walk in the mind of Christ, friends. And when the process is right for the mind of Christ, when I get the process right and I begin to live in the promise of God, when I live in the promise of God, the mind of Christ is not there to bless me and to increase my wealth and to get all the right answers so I can get the promotion. My Bible says the mind of Christ is there for me to take on and to understand that, hey, I have to lay everything down and become like a servant. Ooh, come on. Hold on a minute, that's not so lacquer. See, that's why God, the promises are yes in him, but there is a process. The process is, friends, so that you can carry the weightiness of his promises. When you begin to carry the weightiness of his promises, friends, you put the riverbanks down. Because you can take this and you can start shooting and you can shoot all over the place. And that's why the church has. They've taken all the prosperity scriptures in the Bible, taken them out of context and begin to speak them, whatever, and believe that it's God who wants them all wealthy, wants them rich and all blessed, and the church is going left. Because there's no process with the promise, friends. There has to be a process so we can carry the weightiness of the promises so the power of God can flow. The power of God is ours. 
But you don't just give the power of God to some little guy who's got a shotgun in his hands who doesn't even know how it works because he could pull the wrong thing, friends, and kapow. And we see those things in the reality of life, but they don't shake us enough to realize that that little guy was not equipped. He found his dad's gun somewhere and he wasn't equipped and he was playing with it and it shot and it killed his sister or something. We go, that's horrific, that's terrible. Friends, it's happening in the church today all the time. We're using weapons that God's given us and authority that's God given us and we're hurting one another. And we're shooting friendly people. And here's the challenge to every single one of us is that if you've been in church long enough, you must have been hurt, surely. Otherwise, it's a miracle. So you have been hurt. The reality is, friends, we've got to just sit down and we've got to say, God, I live in a fallen world and I live in a church that's still being processed and it's still going, but that doesn't mean church is wrong. It's the right place to be, friends. Surround yourself with people that aren't shooting you. I love that. And then help those that are kind of waving their weapons around. And you go, okay, let's just protect, let's get this, make sure. Hold on. I understand all of that, friends. But the reality is, friends, stuff will happen to us. We just need to come before the Lord. Say, God, I forgive them. They don't really know what they're doing. Of course they don't. We're all idiots. Just in different levels. You don't know how to operate that, but he probably knows how to operate that. So let's just humble ourselves simply and just say, look, they're all idiots. Friends, what's happening in the church is we're hurting one another. And then what happens is the minute we get hurt, we get offended, friends, and then we, we have an unbelief in the goodness of God. We unbelief in the goodness of God. We go for ages and ages and ages and ages carrying this hurt, friends. Don't like the church. Don't like the people. Don't like this guy. Don't like that. We carry this hurt for absolute ages. And then along comes somebody and says, hey, I've got an inner healing course. And they come and, and they try and get inner healing from this course, friends. And, and then it kind of like half works for a little bit. And then it doesn't work. And then we're back to that whole same thing again. Because even the person that's giving the inner healing course needs inner healing. Friends, I believe in inner healing. Inner healing happens inside of my life by the Holy Spirit every single day. Every single day I get hurt. Every single day. But I allow Holy Spirit to come. And I say, I forgive them. And I just repent of anything I picked up and what have you, Lord. I'm just going to live free. And then God comes and brings inner healing. And I can carry on living free. Friends, and my four inner healing courses absolutely wonderful. Go and do some of those courses if you have to. But Jesus paid the price, and the ultimate is live in the realms of God where Jesus is Lord and King. Amen. You want a relationship with God, friends? The way to do it is simply spend time with Him. I can't shortcut, there's no shortcut to that process. Do you want to know about God? You want to know what He's saying to you? Friends, you have to read the Bible. There's no shortcut to that, friends. You can't go and take whatever, whatever you've said today, friends, there's no shortcut. You can't take it now, grab, he said that, now I'm gonna put it on my fridge and I'm gonna claim that and it's just gonna happen. It's not gonna happen, there needs to be a process. For the promises of God. But those promises are yes, you gotta add your amen, so be it. When you add your amen, friends, you're saying something. You're saying I'm in for the process. But when I'm in for the process, I'll carry that promise well. Otherwise, we shortcut Friends, unlike your coffee, it won't taste nice if you shortcut the promises of God. Amen. Shall we stand?
Okay. Just, um, Christo felt the Lord say something to you. I just wanted, it's good to declare these things over us. I just um, had a picture of a child that had written a letter to Jesus, and it was like, you know, we'd write the letter, I love you, Mommy. And that letter was, I love you, Jesus. And then as life has happened and life has got it carried on, you've made lots of mistakes and stuff happens, life happens. And when Ron gave the call this morning, your heart was beating, but you couldn't respond because you just can't see how it can work. And Jesus is saying to you, the only thing he's been looking at is that letter. And he's still staring at that letter of you saying, I love you, Jesus. And he's standing there with his arms open wide and saying, I love you. Just come into my arms. And then another thing was I saw with somebody that has been called and it responded to the call of God. And you didn't go through the process because you didn't understand the process. When the process started happening, you bombed inside. You said, I misheard, I misunderstood. And you closed your suitcase and you put it down and you're sitting on your suitcase. And that struggle is inside of you because you know that God has called you. And there's that fire and that passion and that zeal and the pain of I can't. And this morning as Grant had spoken and explained the process, I just feel Holy Spirit saying just open up and blow the dust of that certificate. You've been called, you've been qualified, you've been approved, you've been sealed with my kiss, you have been called with the high and the holy calling of God. Rise up thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord if you're one of those two people I do offer for you to come and you can speak to me as well afterwards if you want to unpack that some more you're just not sure but I know if it's you and, and the Holy Spirit's just ministering to you right now just respond to the Lord it's He's not complicated. He's simply a father. Simply a father who loves his children so much. He, he really only, all he wants you to do is turn to him and just call on him. And he comes so amazingly and so wonderfully. The Lord, I just want to lift up all of us to you this morning. I want us as a church, and I know you do know a church, but I want us to know that I, I really do love every single one of you. And I really, really do understand the pain and the journeys that every single one of you walk. And I don't come and stand in front of you on a Sunday morning because I have all the answers, because I don't have all the answers. And I cannot even at sometimes even understand. But I do know there is only one way and his name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth. He is the way and the truth. If you want life, because he is life, he's the way and the truth. And if you will know the truth, it will set you free. God wants you to live free. And I believe as the people of God today, we, as a church, we don't want to live up and down anymore. We want to live 
victorious. That doesn't mean your circumstances and money flows and all of that. I'm talking about living victorious. I'm talking about living happy, living smiling, not because that's your goal, but that's because it's the byproduct of a life yielded to Christ. You can't rob us of our smile. You can't rob us of joy because He is our joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And no matter what happens in life and as we go through stuff, it doesn't knock us and change and cause the hurt and the pain that it has been over years in the life of the church. I just, I just believe that some of these things are just truths that God is restoring back to us. What God is wanting to do in 24-7 is He wants to build His culture. And He's wanting to build riverbanks so the power of God can flow. And as, as your leader this morning, I can say to you, I know that the things that God has promised and spoken over my life, I know that I'm gonna move in healing and a lot stronger in the days to come. And you can come to the front and you can get healed because of the gift and because of the power of God flowing through my life. But the actual, actual answer, friends, is for you to live healed and for you to pray for people to get healed. That's actually the answer. Friends, so we don't come and gather together so we can grab something of whatever the pastor has prayed about. And, and, but we come because together we are rising up to be the army of God, to know truth, to get free, and to live in those realities ourselves so that the church, not one, not two, but the whole church, flowing in power and authority, flowing as kings and priests unto God, flowing with the presence of God just so evident over every one of our lives. So Lord, as I've prayed now, this is, I'm gonna start praying now. That was just a talk. <laughs> this is just for the ones that say I pray too long. Okay, now, how can you pray too long when you're talking to the Lord? I wanna just pray over the, the congregation. I pray over every single one of us. And especially those two that God has highlighted. God doesn't highlight you by accident. If you've kind of thought you're just some name or some, some number, God's highlighted you and spoken to you directly because he, he knows you by name and he loves you. And he's after your life. He wants to grab hold of you. He wants you to change and your circumstances to change. My heart's cry to you is respond to Jesus. He's the most amazing person you'll ever meet. But for every single one of us this morning, my heart's desire and prayer is that God, you would come sovereignly and beautifully like only you can in your Holy Spirit. And will you do a complete work in our hearts and lives? Will you change us? Will you transform our thinking? Will you renew our minds? Because all the promises are yes, Lord God. And your desire is that we walk in every single one of them. You have given us the promised land. But we have to take that territory through process. God has declared that you have his peace. But friends, the mind of Christ is a mind that stayed on Christ. That's how you get peace, a mind stayed on Christ. And because you trust in him. Trusting in him 
and causing your mind to stay and be focused on Christ is a process. But you have been given the mind of Christ. When you walk in that process, you will live in perfect peace. The promise is guaranteed. Your reality can be different if you do not embrace the process. My heart's desire this morning is that your reality would change and line up with the promise of God. So I just pray that over the people of God. This isn't something I can't just lay hands and and it's downloaded. This is something I pray, Father, that would happen. That today we would make a decision in our hearts. I'm praying for a choice. I'm praying for a decision in our hearts today to choose you. To choose the process in God. To say yes, amen to the promise. And that means embracing the process. And then to live in the process, one of the processes of getting our needs met as a church is to meet others' needs. So as we journey, Lord God, I thank you that you'd help us to meet others' needs, to prefer others, and to watch you come and meet every single one of our needs. I'm asking this in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. I thank you for this morning, Lord God. I thank you for every person here, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this family. Thank you for the visitors. Thank you, Father, for those that have come for the first time and those that have come because of Matthew and Zoe getting married and all of that. Thank you that this wasn't by accident, that they came here because God wanted to speak to you and tell you that he loves you, that he is good. Lord, bless your people this morning. Thank you for your comfort and your strength for every single one of our lives. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I feel the Holy Spirit so strongly. I, I'm just, I'm not sure why, if he wants to do something, but just, just breathe him in, just receive him right now. Just let him work, let him do whatever he needs to do. Just let him surround you, let him comfort you. That's what his name is. Let him counsel, let him lead you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just thank you, Holy Spirit, that we're not alone. Do you know Jesus said it was better for me to go? That's because if Jesus was here, we could keep running to him and he could kind of lay hands on us and heal us and do stuff. But it's better if he goes, he sent Holy Spirit because now Holy Spirit's inside of us and now we can live like that all the time. We don't have to run to Jesus. He dwells inside of every single one of us that's born again. So thank you, Lord God, that we have Holy Spirit. And will you teach us, Holy Spirit? Will you lead us, Holy Spirit? I pray that this week we begin to see a change and a transformation, not just in our thinking, but in our lives, in our circumstances, in our situation, as we get those eternal values in place, Lord, in those riverbanks in place. We ask for your power. We ask for your power to flow through your people. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. I